It is Sunday, December 19th, 2010. This is U62 The Targ. Let's get her going. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. All right, here it comes. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Why, what a little tiny microchip deep inside some electronics. Broadcasting to the world through the miracle of the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is U62, the TAR. Now your host, a man with a lifelong dream of getting paid to do this, Mark Pappas. On this week's show, we got my review of Tron Legacy. We're also talking about panties and Facebook etiquette. It's episode 4.12, end of line. So sit back, relax, grab yourself some warm root beer and a towel that's oh so fluffy. U62 the Tar, you're in for something special. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Camp is here, and welcome to this week's episode of the Targ. How y'all doing today? I'm doing it not too bad. I got to tell you, though, the weather is driving me nuts. Out here in Alberta, winter is now in full swing, and it is so darn cold and dry out there. I tell you, my lips are so cracked and dried out uh, that I'm finally using chapstick for the first time in my life. And I got to tell you... I just can't get used to it. It's like this slimy stuff that's all over your lips all day. I just, ah, I have to get acclimatized to it. And I can't help but wonder, how do women do this? I mean, let's be honest. Women, they're always putting on lipstick, and they're always putting on makeup and stuff like that. You know, if all that stuff is as slimy as this chapstick, how do women go through it, go through it day in and day out, putting that slimy stuff all over their face? I just don't understand it. Lots of stuff I still don't understand about women. You know, like across my desk t uh, earlier this week came all these statistics on women's underwear. For example, the average woman owns 21 pairs of underwear. 27% say that wearing a pair of underwear that's unattractive or doesn't fit well can ruin her day. And 65% of women say that they mostly have boring colors of underwear, with white being the number one and therefore the most boring color. So it's just like weird, you know. You know for men's underwear they don't compile statistics like this. How come women, they get all this obsession over their underwear? I tell you, I just don't get it. Probably because, you know, it's because of stores like Victoria's Secret and Licenza and stuff like that. When it comes to underwear, women just have a whole lot more choices open to them. But for men, you know, it's just boxers or briefs. That's all we get. You know, you don't see any boutiques opening up specializing in men's underwear. You think there's a niche market there? That's something worth looking into. But anyways, I hate to break this to you, but there's going to be no Too Hot for Radio this week. Again, nothing has come across my desk that's really interesting enough to put into that file. So we're skipping it this week, and instead we're going straight to the music. Here's one of those songs that always makes me think of Christmas. It's Billy Joel with We Didn't Start the Fire here on U62 The Tar. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, And I and the catcher 
That song always makes me think of Christmas. That's Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire, here on U62 The Targ. Welcome back. Mark Kapp is here with you. Yeah, that song always makes me think of Christmas. Really weird, isn't it? It must have come out in like December or something like that, and that's why I always associate that song with Christmas. Let's look it up here on Wikipedia. Yep, We Didn't Start the Fire was first released in November of 1989, so yeah, it would have reached the top of the charts in around December of 1989 or so, which means I probably would have constantly heard it on the radio when I was out Christmas shopping this year. And that makes sense. But enough of that looking to the past. Let's look to the future. Let's talk the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about the big thing going on in my life right now. The one movie I've been most anticipating for 2010 has finally hit theaters, and I have seen it. That movie, of course, Tron Legacy. You know, I first saw Tron when I was in grade two. The principal at my school would have this annual movie day where all classes for the afternoon would be canceled, and we'd all head down to the gym to catch a Disney movie on the 16mm projector. This particular year, the movie was Tron, and I was hooked. I don't have any idea how many times I threw around a frisbee pretending it was one of the discs from the film. So rumors of a Tron sequel have been going around the internet for years. I think the first one I read was like back in 1996, shortly after I first got online. The rumor said that Pixar was working on a 100% computer animated Tron remake for their second film. On the 20th anniversary DVD, uh, the director of the original Tron, Steven Lisberger, he said that he was developing a sequel with the working title of Tron 2.0, but everything he made for that wound up becoming the video game Tron 2.0. That came out about five or six years ago. But then, you know, it was in 2008 at the San Diego Comic-Con, Disney showed some test footage of what a new Tron would look like, and the ball was rolling. So, what exactly is Tron Legacy about? Following his experiences from the first film, Kevin Flynn, that was the hero of the first film, that was Jeff Bridges' character, has gone on to become one of the most visionary computer programmers of the 1980s. You know, he was up there with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates back in 1987. But then in 1989, he mysteriously disappeared, making an orphan of his young son Sam. We then flash forward to the present day. Sam has become a somewhat shiftless young man, still pining for his missing father, and he frequently cyber-terrorizes his father's old company in order to make sure they stay true to his vision. Never mind the fact that he owns his father's company, just for some reason he likes to blow stuff up instead to get attention. Whatever. But then one day, he's visited by his dad's old friend, Alan Bradley, who says that he got a call from Kevin's old video arcade. Sam heads up to the arcade, discovers a secret computer lab his father had set up, and before you know it, he gets sucked into the computer. So in the computer, we find out what was going on. Following his experiences in the first film, Kevin Flynn had the idea to try to create the perfect computer system from the inside. And in order to help him do this, he created a computerized duplicate of himself named Clue. As Flynn's idea of a perfect system soon began to differ from Clue's, Clue's decided to seize power and become a brutal dictator of the computer system. With Clue in charge, Flynn's access to the outside world was cut off, and he's been living and hiding in this computer for the past 20 years. But now, with Sam's arrival, the world has changed, and Sam and his father need to escape before Clue can unleash his endgame.
Is it wrong that every time there is an allusion or a reference to the first film, I wanted to stand up and cheer? I mean, this film was obviously made with a reverence for the first film. Many of the action sequences are designed to mirror sequences in the first film, only with today's state-of-the-art special effects, and that was really awesome to see. Sadly, though, I did go to see it in 3D, and I found that in 3D and with all the whooshing cameras and stuff like that, it gave me a bit of a headache. But hey, speaking of references to movies from the 1980s, they even threw in a great reference to that other 1980s hacker classic, War Games. Jeff Bridges, though, as always, is awesome. Although in some scenes, he seems to be playing the dude from The Big Lebowski rather than Flynn. You know, a great example is at one point he utters the line, You're harsh and my zen, man. It was cute and it got some laughs. Didn't really seem appropriate, though. Uh, that reminds me, though, Big Lebowski is one of those classic films I've never seen. I must rent it someday. One of the things I really enjoyed, though, was it finally took some of the concepts that the first film introduced, but never really fully explored, and fully explored them. Sadly, though, on the flip side, some of the brand new concepts they introduced aren't really fully explored. I mean, come on, don't you hate it when the backstory sounds so much more interesting than the story you're currently watching now? And another question I had, since this movie is called Tron Legacy, is the character of Tron in it? Yes, Tron is in it, and I really wish they gave him a much better character arc than what he got, but when he does finally utter his creed from the first film, that's one of those stand-up-and-cheer allusions to the first film I was talking about earlier. As expected, the special effects are absolutely mind-blowing. Other things I liked, Olivia Wilde, uh, you might remember her as 13 on House. Uh, she plays Cora, who has become the Elder Flynn's apprentice, and she has gone from smoking hot, like she is in House, to just incredibly adorable. Something about that bob cut she rocks and her mannerisms in the film, she's a little more childlike and awestruck. And when you hear her backstory, it's some of that awesome backstory I was telling you about that's a little more interesting than the actual film. The plot, sadly, though, is fairly by the numbers and quite predictable, but then so was the first movie, so I really don't think that could be much of a complaint. And another thing, you know, that I discovered online just reading about it today, Cillian Murphy, who you might remember as the Scarecrow in Batman Begins, he actually made a cameo in the film. And when that was pointed out to me, I was like, oh, dude, that was him. I completely didn't notice. But yeah, apparently Disney is trying to plan a new Tron trilogy. So if Disney does get to make a second Tron film after this one, uh, it would be really awesome to see Cillian Murphy develop into a real nasty villain. Spoiler warning, his cameo is as the son of the villain from the first film. So there you go. But you know, at the end of the day, Tron Legacy, it's a lot like the reaction I had to G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. I'm having trouble trying to discern whether it actually is a good movie or if my nostalgia for the source material is doing a really good job of blinding me to the flaws. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed the hell out of it, and really, that's all that matters. I am giving Tron Legacy three out of four nibs. Dun, dun, dun. What's wrong with society? I'm literally angry with rage. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. What's wrong with society this week where I tell you about what bug I've got up my butt this time around. Once again, we're going back to the world of fast food places. Do you know what's wrong with society this week? Senior citizens in fast food restaurants. 
I mean, what are they doing there? You know, they show up at 10 in the morning, they order their cup of coffee for a buck 25 with free unlimited refills, and then they just sit there all day. It wouldn't be bad if it was just one or two of them, but for some reason, the entire seniors home in town always descends on the fast food restaurant and sits there all day sipping their coffee and not doing much else. And then, you know, along comes me, a weary traveler, looking to grab a bite to eat before I head out back on the road. And wouldn't you know it, there's absolutely no place to sit in the fast food restaurant because the seniors are taking up all the spaces, drinking their dollar cup of coffees, and enjoying the free unlimited refills. I mean, come on, if it was teenagers that were doing that, you can tell that every manager in the place would be raising a stink about it. But because it's senior citizens leaving me with no place to sit, that means it's all fine and hunky-dory. So now, what do we do? How do we fix what's wrong with society this week? Well, we have one of two options. Option number one, I direct you to my rant from a couple weeks ago, and I say we gotta get the seniors to start hanging out at your Starbucks and your Tim Hortons and all your other fast food places that specialize in coffee. Option number two, I think this has a novel approach, fast food restaurants should start building a lounge, a coffee lounge, a separate seating area. So that way, if all you're gonna do is sit around drinking coffee all day, you can go sit in the lounge, and a person like me who just wants a burger before hitting the road again, they still have a place to sit. So there you go. That's how we fix what's wrong with society this week. We come up with separate seating areas for the senior citizens. You know, call it like a shop that specializes in coffee. A coffee shop. There you go. We got to get the seniors in the coffee shops. And that's what's wrong with society this week. What's, What's Wrong With Society, brought to you by Cranky Pants brand underwear. Cranky Pants, now 30% tighter in uncomfortable places. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart three sizes that day. Happy Holidays from U62. The Targ. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Slowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square In the frosty air What a bright time, it's the right time To rock the night away Jingle bell time is a swell time To go gliding in a one-horse sleigh Giddy up jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mixing and mingle in the jingling feet That's the Jingle Bell Rock
go gliding in a one-horse sleigh, yeah. All right. Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet, jingle around the clock. Mixing a mingle in the jingling feet. That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell rock. That's the jingle bell rock. That's Billy Idol with his rendition of Jingle Bell Rock here on U62 The Tar. Good afternoon, Mark Kapp is still here with you. Yeah, you have to go online and you have to seek out the music video for that. It always makes me laugh. Billy Idol, he's just got such a forced expression on his face and he's doing all these herky-jerky dance movements. It is just weird to see. Let's go fishing in the discount bin, shall we? Fishing in the discount bin. All right, welcome to Fishing in the Discount Bin, my weekly rant where I grab one of the DVDs off my DVD shelf, watch it, and just reminisce about the good times. You know, it's time to get to another one of my all-time favorite movies. I knew I would be tackling it sooner rather than later, so we may as well do it now. In the very long history of musicians, musicians have desired to be taken seriously as actors. Frank Sinatra won an Oscar. There's the entire Elvis filmography. The Beatles are credited with creating the modern music videos through their films. And then there's all the rappers these days who've popped up in grade B action films. And even my hero, Weird Al Yankovic, got into the act with his 1989 film, UHF. I've already blogged several times how the summer of 1989 was a magical time for me. I'd already discovered the music of Weird Al and was playing his albums ad nauseum around the house. One evening when we saw the first commercials for UHF on TV, I very clearly remember hearing my mother say, Ah, shit, he made a movie. Good thing it was summer and there was no school the next day, for I remember staying up late one moonlit night to watch Weird Al promote his film on the Arsenio Hall shelf. I'll never forget that. There was Arsenio. So, would you like to set up this clip? And there was Weird Al. Sure! Here's a clip from my movie! Sadly, I never got to see UHF that magical summer. Never got to see it on video either, as the corner store never brought it in. I finally got to see it in the summer of 1990, a full year after it first came out. The cable company was goodly enough to give us a free sample of Super Channel that August, and they were about to have the premiere of UHF. I watched it and loved it thoroughly. Had the good sense to tape it too, and I watched it over and over and over again. Finally picked up a VHS copy in college. I was doing some Christmas shopping in West Edmonton Mall. I'd never, ever, ever seen UHF on store shelves, and for some reason it was nagging at me that day. I was browsing the VHS tapes in Music World when a clerk asked if he could help me with anything. I don't suppose you have UHF? I asked. Clerk disappeared into the back room and actually came back with the copy. Of course I had to buy it. It hit DVD on 2002, and that was the day it was at... It hit DVD in 2002, and I was there the day it was released to buy it. Because I had seen it so many times before, I immediately went to watching it with the running commentary. And I learned a lot about the film listening to that commentary. The movie studio, Orion, thought they had a surefire hit on their hands. The positive buzz around the film was phenomenal. In test screenings, people absolutely loved it. The studio was getting ready to sign Weird Al to a long-term deal to make him their comedy guru and pump out comedies every year or so. It was doing so well in test screenings that Orion decided to release it as a summer blockbuster. 
and it has been well documented that the summer of 1989 was one of the first summers just glutted with blockbusters. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, and the one that ruled them all, Batman. Up against all that, UHF was promptly crushed and bombed. Weird Al said that was the most heartbreaking time in his career, as Orion stopped returning his phone calls, all of Hollywood was making fun of him, and since it was a very personal project for him, he was just very depressed. But as always, there was a silver lining. When it came out on VHS, it was a top renter and top seller. Weird Al couldn't mention this while doing the running commentary, but it was, when it was released on DVD, it instantly shot to the top of the DVD charts. UHF has now become a certified cult classic. The plot, in case you don't remember, Weird Al plays George Newman, a lovable loser who can't keep a job because of his overactive imagination always having him daydreaming. But then, his rich uncle soon becomes the owner of a little old UHF TV station and makes George the station manager. At first, George tries his best, but he doesn't do so well. When his girlfriend dumps him, he decides to put the station's janitor, Stanley Spadowski, on the air in a fit of depression. But Stanley's show becomes a hit, and George finally lets loose, putting his overactive imagination to good use and comes up with all kinds of wacky shows. Channel 62 quickly jumps to the top of the ratings, raising the ire of Channel 8, the former number one station in town. The evil manager of Channel 8, R.J. Fletcher, tries to buy Channel 62 from George's uncle, but George gets to work to raise the money to match RJ's offer, having a huge telethon. Not even the kidnapping of Stanley can slow their efforts. George raises the money, buys the station, makes up with his girlfriend, and lives happily ever after. Don't know what more I can say. I still find this movie as funny as the first time I saw it. That catchphrase of Cooney, STUPID! YOU'RE SO STUPID! has entered the common lexicon. So many jokes from this film I still quote and still make me smile when I have a bad day. It's just that funny. Before I go, just one last story. When I was in Japan and pursuing the TV listings, I once saw that UHF was going to be on at 1 in the morning. I called up my friend, Dude, should I stay up late and watch it? It might be the only time I get to see it dubbed in Japanese. My friend told me I was nuts and I should skip it. However, I did have to get up to pee in the middle of the night, and when I saw the time, I thought I'd stay up and watch it to the end. It was everything from the Rambo sequence onwards. Awesome movie. Fishing in the Discount Bin, brought to you by RentMoviesOnline.com Is going down to the video store too much social interaction for you? RentMoviesOnline.com yeah, I was hoping to do a fishing in the discount bin for the original Tron for this show, but you know, the way my schedule worked out, I was didn't have a chance to b sit down and, you know, watch the original Tron and have it fresh in my mind for doing that. So, oh well, I pulled another classic out of the bin. Good afternoon, Mark Camp is here with you for the one final time here on EU62 The Targ, and you know, it's just, uh, I'm really curious right now about Facebook etiquette. You know, every couple of months on Facebook, I find the people from my past that I thought were incredibly cool and I looked up to them and I admired them. So, of course, you know, I send the friend request and hopefully we'll become friends and once again, I can go to hero worshipping them. But see, the thing is, they never accept my friend request. And for some reason, right there in my news feed, I start seeing all the other people they become friends with. They become Facebook friends with those people, but they don't become Facebook friends with me. That's kind of like rubbing salt in the wound, you know? So, 
I always wonder, what's the Facebook etiquette here? Should I, like, send them a message saying, hey, shitter, get off the pot, you know, be my Facebook friend or turn me down as a Facebook friend? Just quit subjecting me to all these other friends of yours that are popping up in my newsfeed, you know? But then, you know, as a friend of mine pointed out the other day, you know, on Facebook now you can do that thing where you can just simply hide stuff from a certain friend. So I think I've wised up and I just hide everything from that person. So they're not always pouring salt in my wounds. Ah, why won't you be friends with me? I thought you were cool, man. But no, you're not. You're just some other guy experiencing their totally awesome life now. And you probably don't remember me. Ah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go outside and I'm going to make some actual friends that I can talk with face to face. How awesome would that be? So I'm going to go outside and do that. I suggest you should do that too. But of course, you can load this podcast in your MP3 player and you can actually listen to me while you're doing that. The 21st century is awesome. Just a little reminder, be sure to check out the other, the other corners of my online empire. Uh, there's my blog, uh, chaosinabox.blogspot.com. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chaosinabox. And of course, there's the main hub of it all, chaosinabox.com. I'm Mark Capps. This has been the Targ. I will see you next week. of another exciting episode of The Targ. Don't forget you can download a new episode of The Targ every week at chaosinabox.com. The Targ is written and produced by Mark Kappas under the watchful eye of 42 Star Wars action figures. The Targ is a Chaos in a Box production. Go, there's a beefy goth chicken horror. Hey, sunshine. You looking to buy or rent?